0: For any I haven't met, my name is Bill Birch. I'm one of the pastors here at Northside, and today we are continuing our church-wide year-long theme of fit. We introduced it last January when we talked about five types of fitness in Christian discipleship, including mental, relational, fiscal, physical, and spiritual. During October, as we're focusing on stewardship, we're asking the question, what does it look like? to be fit stewards in God's kingdom. Last week's sermon was entitled, Lead. And the challenge was that leaders give and givers lead. Uh, today's topic is follow. What does it mean to follow in fiscal faithfulness in the footsteps of Jesus? Our scripture lesson comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. As you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of the gospel. Jesus is speaking, and we hear these words. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. And would you please be seated. When our daughter was a sophomore in high school, she took geometry. And one evening she came to her father for assistance with a review problem. And this is how it read. In a test run, a plane traveled D miles per hour for E hours. And it was 36 miles short of its destination when a predetermined amount of time ran out. If the test were to be conducted again, how long would it take to reach the same destination if the travel were increased by 10 miles per hour? After a great deal of deliberation, I told Katie she would learn a whole lot more if she figured out the answer herself. (laughs) Because when my kids hit middle school, I was no longer able to assist them with math. And even when I could get the right answer, you know what they would say to me. Daddy, that's not how they taught us to do it. And I joined generations of parents who like to grumble about the new math. And we yearn for those good old days when you just had to know how to do it. You didn't have to understand why. Well, in today's scripture lesson, we get a glimpse into the geometry of God's kingdom. And we discover that our Lord works by a whole new math that doesn't make sense from a worldly point of view. Listen again to just part of Jesus' words. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you receive. This is not how the world does math. Old math teaches us in any subtraction problem, the final answer is going to be smaller than the largest number you began with. In a division problem, the quotient is always going to be smaller than the dividend. There's only so much resources. There's only so much pie. And if you give some away, you'll have less. If you keep it, you'll have more. So the takeaway is to hoard the pie and keep as much as you can for your own use. But the new math of God's kingdom teaches something that, from a worldly standpoint, seems ridiculous. Where subtraction becomes addition. Where division becomes multiplication. Jesus says, give it away. Because the more you give away, the more you're going to have. If you try to cling to what you've got, you're going to have even less. If there's pie, enjoy your slice and give it generously to everyone else. We can always make more pie. It doesn't make sense to our heads, but it does resonate with our hearts. Consider for a moment the love we share with one another. And let's suppose for a moment... You could quantify love into cups and pints and quarts and gallons, and then consider this word problem. You have five gallons of love, you give four gallons away. How much is left? Well, the world would immediately tell you you've got one gallon left. But then think about real life growing up in a household. The love you shared with parents and siblings. And then suppose in your life journey you got to a moment where you decided to get married. Do you have to love your parents and spouse or parents and siblings less in order to love your spouse? Of course not. The love grows. But suppose you're married and you decide to have a child. And when the child is born, do you have to take that love you were sharing with your spouse and divide it between the two? Of course not. The love grows even more. Suppose you have a second child. Do you have to take that parental love and half it so each gets 50%? Of course not. The love continues to grow. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you love, the more you discover you have the capacity to love. It's a basic spiritual principle in God's kingdom. The measure you use is the measure you get back. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, he puts Jesus' words in this way. Give away your life, and you'll find your life given back to you. But not merely given back. Given back with bonus and with blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Because generosity begets generosity. And every person here has a story they could share that illustrates that point. Last week, I talked about how from 1995 to 2000, I served First United Methodist Church of West Point. Gladys Osley was one of the matriarchs of the congregation. Sadly, she had died a few years before I arrived there. Miss Gladys loved her church, and she especially loved Sunday night worship in the chapel. And every week, there was a volunteer who would take the church van, drive around the neighborhood, collect a van full of ladies, and bring them to church. And Gladys loved it. And she always sat in the front passenger side. She said it was because she was prone to car sickness. Everybody just knew that was Gladys's spot. Gladys also worked at the home office of Batson Cook Construction Company, which began in West Point and she was never a wealthy woman, and one day she faced a financial crisis, had to swallow her pride, and ask her employer for a loan. When she retired a few years later, part of her retirement gift was a certificate declaring the loan had been forgiven. Gladys died in 1987, and a few weeks later a family member showed up at Batson Cook with a check in hand. She had taken out a life insurance policy for the loan's principal and interest in order to pay back her employer from the far side of the grave. Batson Cook received the check, but on one condition, that they could donate it to the church. When the church received the monies, they in turn used it to buy a new van which every week would ride around the neighborhood picking up a group of ladies to come to Sunday night worship. And on the passenger side where Miss Gladys used to sit was the name of the new van, Miss Gladys. And the gift goes on and on and on. You give and you not only receive, you also inspire giving in others. And part of what we discover is that stewardship in general really describes the entirety of Christian discipleship. It's everything we do after we say, I believe. Because God has entrusted in our life all of these various gifts. We have talents. We have time. We have resources. And yes, we have money. And God uses, calls us to use all of those as a loan that one day will be repayable at the end of our lives. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, had three very simple rules for finances. Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Make, save, give. And he exemplified it in his own life. He was a shrewd businessman. He did well over his lifetime, but he defined a basic standard of living, and he never exceeded it. And after he had money for the necessities of life, everything else he had, he gave away, and God continued to bless him. I was thinking about some modern illustrations of people who were willing to give. A household name that every one of us here will recognize is a Bill Gates I was looking on the internet, which is a source of all truth and facts. It it said his net worth right now is $125 billion. That's billion with a B. And his ex-wife Melinda has another $70 billion. And you may be aware that they have formed the largest private foundation in the world. And their goal is to give away most of their money before they die. And yet, as much as they try to give away, the net worth keeps going up. The more you give, the more you receive. And I know what you're sitting there thinking. If my net worth was measured in the billions, I would be generous too. Amen? Amen? But here's the reality. More money only makes us more of who we are. Let me say that again. I think that's pretty profound. More money... (laughs) only makes us more of who we are. How are we using what we've got? There's an old story about a preacher talking to a farmer, and he was talking to him about supporting the church financially, and he said, John, suppose for a moment you had 10,000 acres on your farm. Would you be willing to tithe, give a tenth of that? Would you be willing to give a 1,000 acres back to the church? Well, John's eyes got really big when he thought about having a farm that big. And he said, well, you know, preacher, if I had a farm 10,000 acres, absolutely, I'd give 1,000 acres back to the church. And then the minister said, well, suppose you inherited a million dollars. Would you be willing to give 100,000 of that to the church? And the farmer brightened up and he said, well, preacher, you know, I believe me and the missus would do just that. And then the minister said, well, John, suppose you had 10 cows and his eyes widened in alarm. And he said, now, wait a minute, preacher. You know I got 10 cows. God really isn't interested in what we would do with what we don't have. God is very interested in what we do with what we do have. And I just defined stewardship, which involves everything in life. However... One of the most concrete, visible forms of stewardship is how do we manage our money and how are we fiscally fit in God's kingdom. I told you last week, I didn't go into the ministry to raise money. It doesn't get me excited. I don't get up first thing in the morning going, hey, stewardship campaign today, I can't wait. I went in the ministry to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I have become more and more convinced that when you free people up to give, you free them up to grow. And this is one of those areas of life when we discover how to unclench our hands and allow God to take control, we grow in giving and we grow in grace. Here again, Lyle Schaller's words, fundraising is humanity's way of raising money, but stewardship is God's way of raising children. So I've gotten to the point where I'm not hesitant to talk about money from the pulpit because when I do, I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about following in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm talking about trusting God with the resources of our life and the spiritual principle that we give. But what we receive back is so much more because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So this morning, I want to invite you to do some word problems in the new math. And they're very simple, but they're also sometimes a little uncomfortable. The first question is this, where are we in financial faithfulness? How how much do we give to God's work at our church? Dollar amount, percentage of income, where are you? The second question is according to scripture God expects a tithe or a tenth of our income to be given back as first fruits to God. How close do we come to that? How far away are we from it? And what do we believe God wants us to do? The next question is, do we make a commitment to the church every year? Are we willing to put pen to paper or go online and make a commitment in faith to God? And I have people who are sometimes hesitant to do that. And they will come to me and say, what if my financial situation changes in the coming year and I've made a commitment to God? Let me respond to that in two ways. First is, if your financial circumstances change, just let the finance office know it's not a problem. They will make an adjustment. The second is, and I truly want to say this kindly, but also to set it in context, people are sometimes hesitant to make a commitment financially to the church, but they're willing to sign a rental agreement, enter into a mortgage, have a car payment, charge on credit cards. Are we going to be any less faithful in our work in God's kingdom? Another question is, when do we give? Is it out of the first and the surplus, or do we wait to see what's left, and we give out of scarcity? And do we give with joy and excitement because we get to partner with God, or is it out of a sense of obligation or responsibility? Now, I guess, really, the, the question that hits home is, are we willing to grow in this area? One of the graphics that we created a couple, three years ago that's in the stewardship brochure that went out is a pathway to giving. And it shows various ways we can grow in giving wherever we find ourselves at this age and stage of life. And the first level is start. Give something. If we're church members, we promise to support the church with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Do something. Then the next step is to give consistently. Figure out how you're going to give on a weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, monthly basis, however, but to give Consistently to set a pattern, and then grow into giving a percentage of income. Whatever you feel comfortable with, start with 1%, grow to 2%, to 3 uh, The eventual goal is to get to be a people of tithing, which is a standard set by Scripture. But for some here, tithing may not be a sufficient expression of how God has blessed you. Maybe you're ready to give more than a tithe. And then there's a level that's called legacy of thinking of how we can leave to the church and to God's kingdom something from our estate that will continue to give on into the future. I didn't tell them I was going to share this ahead of time, but I've got Bob and Bartha Farr sitting right in front of me here. That's a, When a retired minister sits on the front row of the church, that is a sanctified saint of God right there. Uh, but they have partnered to start a scholarship, a scholarship that is going to assist underprivileged children. There's an interview in our next quarter's newsletter. It's an amazing story of how they were inspired and what they're going to do. This endowment's going to last for years, 25 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. It will continue to be shaping children's youth's lives. To have an opportunity to be involved in something like that fills my soul with joy and with excitement. Because in today's scripture lesson, Jesus teaches us the new math of God's kingdom. And it's contrary to the world where subtraction always means less, division always means smaller, that there's only so much pie to go around. But in God's kingdom, subtraction becomes addition. And division becomes multiplication. And there's plenty of pie to share and we can make more to give to others because the measure we use is the measure that's given back to us. And we receive packed down, shaken together, overflowing and pouring into our laps. Today we're called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as faithful stewards of all that God has placed in our hands. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you that we hold the treasures of heaven and that as your people you have made us both responsible but also to have the privilege of being faithful stewards of your kingdom. Lord, teach us how to trust you with the entirety of our lives knowing that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So teach us to invest in the eternal and not the temporal in the everlasting and not the passing. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.